sacrifices of the men and women who wore terrible fitting contacts in order to give us entertainment. <laughs> we boldly go where no man has gone before on Red Sharts. Hello, Emily Whoop. Pineapple. How are you? Hello, Missy. Uh, you know, every day that I am looking out of my eyes I, through my glasses and can see, mm-hmm. beautiful day, beautiful day. A- Every day that I can relate to my fellow man and am not evolving into some sort of disassociated uh, mind being, it's a good day. It's a very it's good, good day. day. I agree. It's a good day. I cannot wait. We got another ESP episode so quickly after Charlie X. We're meeting two new people who get blasted by purple. Don't drive into the purple. My word. Don't drive into the purple. Um, I'm so excited for this episode. This was, uh, when I first saw Star Trek, I was a child. I was a youngling. I was like 10 or 11 years old. Okay. Like 11 at the oldest. And it was, of course, very important to me to know the most about Star Trek, even though I knew very little about Star Trek because I was not allowed on the internet. Um... And this was a very special episode for me because very few people had seen it and it was so different. It was such an outlier. Uh, There are a number of differences in this episode that we don't see in any further episodes. uh, And that's because it was the second pilot shot. It was shot about a year uh, before all the rest of the episodes. That's interesting. There were, yeah, there were some design things on there that I questioned. Uh, I wrote down sweaters at the opening. That was one mm-hmm. part. But it's, mm-hmm. that's, uh, you know, this. all these are production coded. And, and we have talked about in the first three episodes here how they were out of production order. You know, they were done when they were ready. And that's mm-hmm. why Charlie X was the second one. But they put this one third. So I'm, yes. I'm curious if you'll have a reasoning why. But I'm also <laughs> curious to break this down. Oh, boy. Yes. Gary and Elizabeth. Gary and Elizabeth. Dr. Demmer, who I wrote down as Dahmer a bunch of times in these notes. Oh, no. So if I mention Dr. Dahmer, I mean Elizabeth Demmer, a different type of serial killer. Actually, I don't think she serial kills anyone. But she does multiple times. Mm -hmm. She she seems to share that she would. Like... (laughs) She this was, woman. I mean, that's that's what you learn is that ESP really makes you, you know, very not disdainful, but just so disconsiderate of of human mm-hmm. beings. 
I'm just like, where in the Nazi scientists did they get this shit? Because <laughs> even before like things start happening, there's it's very interesting. But let's talk about the inception of this episode. Okay. Before we get in. And then at the end, I want to play a little game with you. Ooh. Ooh yes. Uh, so this was... The second pilot ever shot. The first pilot shot was Star Trek's The Cage, mm-hmm. um, which had a different person as uh, the captain. It had Pike. Captain Pike, who is the main character in the new series. Well, I think it's actually in the second season now. But the Star Trek uh, Strange New World, as well as he was featured uh, at the beginning of the Star Trek film by J.J. Abrams. Which is very funny for a character who simply exists because they were in a pilot that got completely recast and rehashed. Yes. Absolutely. Um, and this is Jeffrey Hunter. NBC rejected the original... Uh, Star Trek The Cage, uh, they felt that the series concept was strong enough to give it a second chance. Uh, even though they had already spent $630,000. Uh, a lot of money. That's at least a million dollar pilot. I know it's more, but that's a million dollar pilot right there. Oh, yeah. Uh, it was the most expensive episode of Star Trek shot of oh that gosh. first series. Um the network ordered three scripts uh, after that, and they would choose one to be developed into the unprecedented second pilot. Um, and those were The Omega Glory, which we'll see, um, Mud's Women, which I, I'll, I'll mention again when we watch Mud's Women, Gene Roddenberry's script that he was like, this should be the pilot. Okay. You know what? Mud's Women, that should be the pilot. Um and this one by Samuel A. Peoples. Um, and they finally chose this one, uh, even though it required a bunch of new special effects, props, costumes. Uh, they felt it was the most powerful and compelling of the three scripts. And Gene Roddenberry thinks that it was chosen because there is a fist fight. At oh, the end. interesting. I that was I had some notes on that fist fight. We'll get to that, but I that seemed interesting. Another fun thing before we get into it to keep in mind uh, is that during filming, the studio was infested with wasps. Oh boy! There was a nest in the rafters, and both Dr. Demmer, Sally Kellerman, and William Shatner were stung. Uh, and William Shatner's eyelids swelled up, and you can see the makeup on him. Oh, interesting. They, yep, yep. They had delays in filming and had to put on extra makeup. <laughs> oh, that's, again, another reason that wasps are just unkind, cruel True. little buggers. True. So, cold open. Yes. We are finding... The black box. That's right. Mm-hmm. Ejected into space by the SS Valiant, which was lost yes. 200 years ago. Uh, we get a great zoom in from Kirk telling us that. Mm-hmm. The, we, we found a box. And then they zoom out from space to show him looking at space on like a TV screen in a rec room 
playing chess with Mr. Spock. That 4G chess we see, again, and in those mm-hmm. sweaters, they had yellow, like, mustard sweater, matching sweaters. Yeah. It was so out of place. And now that I know it was the pilot, it mm-hmm. makes more sense. Yep. Those were the same costumes as they used in the cage. And then, again, it was another year before they filmed the rest of them. So they were able to make some adjustments. I can imagine that those sweaters wouldn't be too comfortable in the L.A. heat. No, not in, uh, especially not in a wasp-infested studio. Although right? it might protect you from stings. Mm, true. That's why it was all on the face. Aha! Uh, so we get a little intro, and it's interesting thinking of this as the pilot for the series. Um, Kirk mentions uh, how Mr. Spock plays an irritating game of chess. And Mr. Spock's like, oh, irritation. One of your earth emotions. Mm. Wow. Mm. You know, it's so weird that like I'm I'm part human uh, in my ancestry. Wow. And it's funny because Kirk, uh, it, it begins right away that the pilot would establish that Kirk and Spock have a constant tiff about Spock not feeling his emotions, even though he's half human and can technically kind of dabble into them. And it was just really interesting to me. It's like, oh, wow, they started this early. This wasn't something that, like, they developed over it. And, in fact, we kind of learn this plot hinges of this episode on the fact that Spock doesn't have emotions in some of his decisions later on because of that. So we head over to the transporter room where they're bringing this probe on board. Mr. Kelso's there. Uh, Mr. Kelso. And a very fun prop that they make for yes. the probe itself. We see the transporter transport something for the first time. Yes. It sort of comes into into place. And then all of a sudden it starts beeping. Oh, That's right. Yeah. A beeping noise and a lights go off. We get, oh no, it's transmitting all decks on alert. And everyone goes into the hallway and... We can kind of see them casually walking. Yeah, they're just like jaunting, like, do, 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 up. Oh, we gotta go here, routine thing. Space, the final frontier. Yes, credits. So, what's interesting about this title sequence um, is that it uh, is a little bit different from the fact that the person responsible, the visual effects director, Darnell, a Anderson effects company of Howard Anderson effects company suffered a third nervous breakdown brought on by the stress he was under to deliver the new opticals in time and on budget. Oh, cheesy Pete's. Yep. This was uh, Robert A. Jessman or H. Jessman, a producer, recalls that when he and Roddenberry came calling in 1965 on the status, um, he said they'd seen like maybe like six good shots and a couple of them were unusual, like unusable. Uh, and they're like, where are the other shots, Daryl? Daryl began to shake. He jumped to his feet screaming, you'll never make your first air date. You'll never make your first air date. Gene sat there in shock. I raced after Daryl and caught him outside. He was weeping and no wonder. We later found out that he had been working both day and night for months trying to satisfy our needs. Yeah, you didn't know that, Justman and Roddenberry. You had no idea that he was working day and night for months to get your shit together. 
That afternoon, Daryl went to Palm Springs for a rest cure. You know what? That sounds like what you need to do. If you're having a mental break, go to Palm Springs. Just walk around. Enjoy the the not being in Hollywood for a bit. Yup. The uh, Roddenberry and Jessman just sort of composed the title sequence from the shots that were there. And a more sophisticated one was produced once... Once Daryl calmed down a bit and and came home. Once they realized, okay, okay, we can use what you have. Take a deep breath. Don't don't go off the handle. And let's we'll we'll get the, we'll work on this. We'll work on it. Incidentally, his first or sorry, his second nervous breakdown was while working on the second pilot uh, a year previously. Wow! From which this... he needed two weeks to recover. Again, industry burnout as old as time. My word. Right? But I mean, they are really good visuals. They're great. They're fantastic. Uh, the ones that were replaced on the Paramount Plus one um, don't hold up as well as the old visuals, I think. The new yeah. CG and stuff looks weird to me. And um, CG mixed with old practicals never looks great. I always feel like you need to have the you need to have the special effects of the time there because I almost associate it with it because yeah. you're just like, no, this is what they could do. This was what this was what space was like back then because that yeah. was all they could afford. <laughs> that's was space and that's just what it was. Um scene 2 Spock tells us what's on the tapes. Oh, yes. Listen back <laughs> again when they could only conceive of sound recordings, the highest technology would be magnetic tape. And that surely yep. we would be sending our probes with this magnetic tape still for it. And we're going to get it all visualized to us and we're going to get all of, it, all of the pathos of watching the last days of a ship. Right? Like, this black box is in so many sci-fi things. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's an absolute trope. Um, we get the whole pathos of it from Spock yelling the things that he sees. Well, and it's, and it's like a, it's a one-sided conversation. So it's very much the, it says this. And the captain says, but surely not. And it ends with him, the captain, uh, apparently giving the self-destruct sequence. But he hears mm-hmm. destruct, and I can't make much of it. It's like, captain... I believe that the final orders were for him to destruct his own ship. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. So we're on the ship. Uh, Kirk and Spock rush on. Gary Mitchell jumps in the lift with them. Mm -hmm. They get to the top. We see Yeoman Smith in pants. Oh, my Um, word. Another blonde lady, Yeoman. According to Herbert F. Solo and Robert Justman in the book Inside Star Trek, The Real Story, Andrea Drom was cast as Yeoman Smith because Gene Roddenberry wanted to score with her. Yeah, yep, yep, yep. I, I wondered if that's where that sentence was going to be ending. According to the producers, it was a non-part and a non-score as well. <laughs> oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's Well, and it's interesting seeing the bridge because, again, there's some people on the deck who aren't normally yes. there either. So you don't have um, Ankara up there. You don't have Sulu. Nope. Uh, you nope. didn't have uh, check Chekhov was there, but he wasn't a part of the the bridge that I could tell. But maybe I just missed him. Yeah, on it. he came a little bit later. Uh, so we we bring out our B team, mm-hmm. aka the people who weren't the final cast, which we had actually seen in the previous. Season. Yes. So we get um, engineering, which is Scotty. That's the first time we see Scotty. Yes, and I he thought it was. Stays. 
we get life sciences, a, a doctor whose name I don't even remember. Why? Because he's not Dr. McCoy. Uh, I think it was Roddenberry, Dr. Piper. I think you're right. It was yeah. Piper. Um, the director of this episode. Uh, James Goldstone. James Goldstone insisted on the person who played Dr. Piper. Um, Roddenberry really wanted to force Kelly. He had worked with him on multiple police procedurals because uh, remember, uh, Roddenberry was really into cop procedurals and wasn't yeah, cop. Yeah, yeah. So that's why a year later, uh, he was he just got his guy in. He got DeForest Kelly in there. You know, um, I didn't I didn't think about the fact that DeForest wasn't in this episode and that that yeah. guy was taking his position. But yeah, that's interesting. I'm glad. I'm so glad they got DeForest Kelly in there. Yes, he is fantastic. Um, and this is maybe like the first time in Star Trek, first and only time, that Kirk makes an announcement to the entire ship, like what the fuck they're doing. Oh, yeah, he does. He was going through and kind of giving him a directive of all the different aspects for it going in there. But Yeah. yeah. He like presses the announcement button. He's like, hey, everyone, we just found like this 200-year-old probe, so we're just going to try and read it. Okay, bye. Love you. Kisses. And it's like, Actually, the crew like doesn't need that information. No, not quite yet. Well, what they needed, what they needed to know was that they were going to be flying into a giant field of purple, whatever that Thinking was. Right? Like, okay, I. You, you, so they then they get the information. They know self destruct. Oh, something's bad. Kirk's response is, "I got to go exactly where they were and figure out what was going on because surely the same bad thing." can't happen to me and it's this it it is this call it's a purple like special effect so i call it them going into purple because that's all that it looks like it's a purple wave of literally light yeah force field and they're just going right toward it in the slow like driving right toward an iceberg and and all the sensors can't pick it up they can't read it but they know it's there like the barrier the the deflectors say it's there but the probe doesn't say it's there so it's not like physically there there's no matter but it's something and you can see it and and they go through and their ship starts to catch fire just things start like exploding like basically all, all their circuit the boards exploding um but right before that we get our first sort of my like Nazi scientist, excuse me, deal when we meet Dr. Demmer. Dr. Demmer is a lady, a lady in yes. pants. A lady in pants. A psychiatrist for Starfleet who is here to study crew reactions in emergency situations, which she yes. says twice. She's yes. like, I'm here to study crew reactions in emergency situations. Oh, you have a probe? Did they were were the crew reacting in an emergency situation? Because I'm interested in how crews react in emergency oh, situations. You have a scenario that involves my specialty. Well, good thing I've been written into the script right here, <laughs> which is just fantastic. Um, but she also Gary, who is the helmsman, mm-hmm. who, who we just met, says something like really random to her. He's like, "So improving the breed." Isn't that your deal? Yeah, it's like, 
I think this is that early era of psychiatry where I think there was still some weird eugenic stuff mixed yeah. with it. Where psychiatry, well, because psychiatry was used yeah. to Be put people eugenics. into boxes and put people as mentally disabled, which was then taken off. So yeah, two extremes that they were just coming off of and were thinking about. So it was interesting that they then put that perspective into yeah. a space future. But we, I mean, we know later that part of the canon within Star Trek is there was a genetics war. Like, yeah. there literally was a war between people who were doing a... Eugenics. A, uh, well, yeah, like, I, we were genetically superior. We're superhuman, like, ubermenches mm -hmm. and going against, you know, Khan was that. And so yep. it, it is interesting how that, again, yeah, you're right. That that layer is baked into it. And it's, yeah. it's, it seems random, but it's, you're right. It's not that random when you put it in the context mm -hmm. of the time. And it was very, it was very interesting. But she has, like, a response. She's like, no, I heard that was your deal. Oh. And then they, like, never really explain why either of them. And I think you're right that it was about psychiatry. Um, yeah. But it was interesting that she just, like, shot that back at Gary. I'm like, what's Gary's deal? Because this is I before know. anything strange has happened. All they're doing is seeing this pink force field and they're, and they're about to go through it. Um, for some reason, Gary, like, is holding Yeoman Smith's hand. Yeah, that was it. I don't know what was up with that. They were, that. like, spooked or something. Maybe he but, needed you know, someone to hold on to when everything starts falling apart yeah, and they both was, get zapped. He was scared of purple. He was so yes. scared of the purple that he's like, I need to hold someone's hand. But, yes, Gary and Dr. Denner both get smacked by the purple. Yes, they and get we, yeah. zippity zapped. They fall to the ground. Zip zap zopped. Right zip, down. Zip zap zopped. We hear, so we get the report. There are people dead. Crew members yeah. are dead because yeah. Kirk flew Nine. into the purple. Nine like, fuckers. Oh my word. Kirk knows the body count. And he's just like, has, oh, I feel, I feel a little awful about this. But he like, still, oh, like, just felt that it was a good thing, you know. And no, but thankfully, that, of course, is the only consequences of what they did. There was no, surely nothing else bad. Surely happened nothing to these else people. bad. Nothing else could be, wait a minute. Wait Why a minute. Why are these two people glowing? I don't understand. So Dr. Demmer gets right up. And they're like, mm -hmm. cool. Denner's okay. Gary's still on the ground. Yeah. Oh, no. Kirk goes over to him. He's like, Gary, my friend. Gary. Gary looks up. Oh no, he has shiny tinfoil eyes. Womp, womp, womp. Crystallized eyes. The first use of these contact lenses, yes. which <laughs> I swear to God, destroyed. Yes. Uh, so Gary, Gary is the name of the character. Gary is also the name of the actress, so we can Gary it up on both of them. Gary. But Gary's eyes throughout this, when everybody's yes. wearing the contacts, look <laughs> so tear stained and so swollen and red. It's like. Oh my God, clearly every time he put these contacts in, they were so uncomfortable. And you can see him like just sweating to get out his lines and get through it. Like, and some takes they're fine. And some takes it's like, I'm like, oh, at first it's like, poor Gary. He's sad. I'm like, oh no, poor Gary. He's just like, <laughs> he's just hurting. He's just like, oh, I got to get through this man. He just can't fucking see. So these eyes were accomplished, uh, by wearing sparkling contact lenses that consisted of tinfoil sandwiched between two lenses, which covered the entire eye. It was already like an outdated costuming uh, 
function. Like they already had other ways of doing contacts for for things, um, but not as cheap. No, uh, so. <laughs> Poor Gary could only see through the lenses by looking down while pointing his head up. Which yeah, I, yeah, used. I could tell he was trying to do. You could like there were times his eyes were like just barely fluttering underneath, <laughs> and you know you get the shots that you can. I understand they can't do a hundred takes; they don't have CGI, you know, post to do it all. But it was just so funny to see his like mostly clouded eyes, <laughs> and where he's clearly trying to like still do some sort of human connection acting, and like taking his like you know all of his training to be in there. It's like I'm gonna be a performance, but like it's uncomfortable to watch. It is like my word. Um, he he used it to convey Mitch's arrogant attitude. Uh, which is what they say. But this poor man, and he does a good job. He does a good job. I gotta say, I'm not knocking Gary's acting ability. Like, his deliverance of, especially some of those disconnected monologues where he's mm-hmm. talking about. So so we should say, he's he, he gets ESP power. Like, they learn pretty quickly, because when he comes to, they put him under the monitors, and they're like, uh, he's basically sort of being able to describe... Uh, some things he things does. Things he and, shouldn't be able to see. Yeah. He clearly has an minds. ability. And yeah. we know about this a little beforehand because um, one of the things that Spock shares is that right before the 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 captain of the SS Valiant uh, destroys the ship, they were frantically looking up ESP. Yes. In their crew members. So Dr. Dahmer at that point, they're like, hey, Dr. Dahmer, you're a psychiatrist. The fuck's with espers? I had never heard ESP having individuals called espers, Mm -hmm. but it sounds like something Catholic. Am I right? Am I wrong? Do you know? I look up Jespers and that's just a name. Espers definitely sounds like, Espers sounds like an old Catholicism right yes, yes. or like, like a part of the church effort. yeah or like you go to the espers and it's yeah. like oh it's like it's the chamber directly underneath an altar kind of yeah. thing it's like to the espers of it yeah exactly it definitely sounds something like that but you're right it just is ESP people are espers um and Dr. Dahmer is pretty like Spock is very aggressive about it he's like oh, oh yeah. shit espers and Dr. Dahmer's like yo I have really high esper ability. I can mm-hmm. see what's on the back of playing cards and sometimes get intuition. That's all it is. It's like Looper up in here. We have very slight powers. Yeah, yeah. This is not something where it's going to be super crazy. It's fine. Yeah, it's super fine. And you know what, Spock? You're actually being a shithead. And Spock's like, I'm Spock. I, <laughs> I have research right here describing and I, and sh- like bad shit. Well, you know, like is- stuff blowing up. Yeah, is this when he cites the percentage of, like, what percentage of his powers is? There's at some point where they're basically talking through uh, where, you know, they're saying uh, Gary only has X percent of his powers and that Mm -hmm. at a certain point he's going to start disrelating and disassociating. But, yeah, it's like... Yeah, that one's later. Okay. Yeah, Spock's already nervous about ESP ability before anything bad actually happens. Um, And that's when Dr. Demmer's like, meh. Um, but now we're, now we're seeing Gary, why Gary and what Gary, but we need to do this in the most aggressively pea green room. 
that has ever existed. Oh, this yes. med bay. They're in the med bay with Gary. Gary's just like chilling and reading. It's so aggressively pea green. Every pea green object. was a color. They had to make sure that it showed on there. Hey, you got pink rooms. You got <laughs> green rooms. You got blue rooms. Those are the four dot or four the three diode colors right there. It's all of them. We gotta show it off. It's so so important. Uh, the other thing we realized, which never comes back up, is that apparently Earth bases that were only days away are now years away. Oh. Which is interesting. So it implies, this is a problem that we never quite get back to, but it implies that somehow going through the pink mist has moved them through an area of space, through a, a bigger area of space than what they had intended. Um, See, now I, I have a question about that because I wondered if it was about them having to fix their engines but I, I thought I guess, and here's what I, I thought think you were, might be correct that they were basically like the amount of time it would take us to get to a different country because that's why they end up, uh, you know, a at the bit lithium facility going toward a specific planet because uh, their engines get knocked out and they're trying to find some place nearby because because they're talking about their engines not moving. I was surprised they could even get to another planet at all, but they must have something not on their warp drive that allows them to just you know chug a chug a tugboat all the way through to a the, a nearby planet. Mm -hmm. But not at light speed at, you know, what, 20,000 miles per hour or whatever. <laughs> um, so we're in this pea green room and Jim, Jim, Kirk, he comes to visit Gary. He's been worried about Gary ever since that night on Denav 4, uh, which was a very cute piece of, of, it felt very Anakin and Obi-Wan in an elevator being like, oh, remember when I saved you from that horde of beings? And they're like, oh, yeah, that was a fun adventure we had. Moving on. Uh, and he, the best part was he go. Gary says, oh, yeah, she was Nova, that one. Implying that he had been drugged by a lady. Um, yeah. And... Or taken drugs with a lady. Um, it was but I just really odd. Nova. Nova, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I also like that I caught that they picked Denav, which was an actual like com or star system in it. Oh. And so it implied, yeah, it's in, um, oh gosh, the swan. Cygnus. It's in the Cygnus um, constellation Ooh. before. Uh, and so when they named that, I'm like, oh, name check. They actually picked like a cool star name. That, uh, one of the, It'd be like, you know, Sighting Alpha yeah. Century or whatever. It was really nice. Hell yeah. I bet you anything that was Samuel Peoples. Even though that line mm -hmm. feels like a Roddenberry line. The like, oh, remember that night when you got drugged by a hot chick when we were all partying? <laughs> you <laughs> know, they all had their experience it on there. Now, uh, so what did you think of Gary's slow descent into like... Again, I don't want to call it disassociation because that's the best word I have for it. But you it, know what I'm saying? His, yeah. His, like, weird – his his becoming more, quote, godlike. Yes. Yeah. Him wanting to become godlike and and his, his not being able to relate to humans on there. Well, this is what's so interesting because literally the next line, um, Kirk – it's, it's implied they share, like, oh, like, I'm Gary. I was in Kirk's class in the academy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they the say at the point they've known each other for 15 years. Yeah, yeah. And the, he's like, the only reason I passed was because I directed that cute lab technician at you, Kirk. 
and told her like how to seduce you, my teacher, so that you would be distracted so that I could pass the class. And Kirk's like, I was going to marry her. Like, what the fuck? And so immediately we're getting like, he was wildly manipulative to the point where even Kirk is shocked that he pulled that. Like, that's such a wild thing to be like, oh, I'm going to hook these people up and I'm going to like plan this whole seduction so that I can pass this class. Ha ha. Isn't it just kind of funny? But wow, like he was willing to do that to this person who he's like best friends with. So I'm wondering how much of an asshole he already kind of was. And that kind of thing makes me also laugh because I'm like, oh, you know, that just happened to someone in real life. Yep. Like someone in an actual like with army recruiting and they're like, oh, yeah, no, no, I did this. I'll pass it. And so they're just like some writer just took that and heard that story and just put it in there. and just like, yep. You know what? Yeah, I believe this scenario surely existed on there. But yeah, Kirk takes it really bad. Yeah. He really is, like, offended. Like, I was going to marry her. Yeah. And so it, it is so... It, you're right. It is interesting because it puts the first, like, seed of doubt. Mm-hmm. Oh, and then the next thing that happens is Kirk's like, look, I'm going to have Dr. Demmer stay here and keep an eye on you. And he goes, and Gary goes... There's a hundred women on this ship. You couldn't do any better than that. Rude. So negging. Like all of the men, they just cannot stop poking at these women. Cannot. And also like be almost implying like, hey, Kirk, I got you that chick. So you owe me a chick. Yeah. It just was like, I can't. Yeah. It just was so, I mean, Maybe that's why he's trying to hold Smith's hand. Maybe he was that's what he was just going for the whole time. Yup. You know? And so we get Gary using a weird voice. He's like, you should be good to me, Kirk. But the voice kind of echoes. And Kirk's like, what the fuck? Yeah, Um, that's where it starts. And we get back up to the bridge where Spock is just watching Gary on the big screen of the bridge where everyone can see just just hanging out mm-hmm. like a spyware. Like, it's it's like one of those teddy bears that you leave to watch the <laughs> Yes, exactly. A um, nanny cam. Well, and Spock right away comes to the conclusion. Tell. Well, he's like, okay, so clearly this happened to the Valiant. That's why the captain blew up the ship. This person started to get their powers, and they were worried about it coming under the control. And you're going to have to do the exact same thing, Kirk, mm-hmm. unless you kill him right now. And he's just like, look, does this look like the Gary you knew? Gary is reading very fast, which we can tell because there is a small computer screen attached with an arm to the med bay bed that he can swing back and forth, which became obsolete like vision of technology almost immediately. But he's going through these books very quickly. He's just like going through the slides of each page super, super fast. And then he turns and looks directly into the camera that Spock and Kirk are looking at. He knows! Dun, dun, dun. Because it's a camera. (laughs) Um... So now we're back in the med day, med bay with Gary and Dr. Demmer. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dr. Demmer 
is all like, hey, Gary, so um, you're an asshole and you called me a walking freezer unit. Um, women professionals tend to overcompensate is what she says to him. Mm-hmm. Does this sound like a line that DC Fontana would have written? No, it does not. <laughs> Does not. That sounds like a Gene Roddenberry line right there. I'll tell you that much. Like, just the... It's so interesting seeing this episode right after seeing the one with DC Fontana and that featured Mm -hmm. Janice so hard. Just how, how differently the way women react to things men say to them is to the point where you're like, Gene... Did you watch the previous episode? Because I don't think you did. (laughs) To be fair, though, remember, this was the second one done. So he hadn't yet. He hadn't gotten. (laughs) Good point. uh, Forrester in yet to to be able to come in. So, yeah. Good point. This shows the (laughs) balance that came. Yes. (laughs) Um, So Gary starts to show off his abilities to to elizabeth um he changes his autonomic sort of signals the readings that are above the bed we get lovely little lights that just kind of beep they Mm -hmm. say things sure he he dies he he shoots it all the way up and then shoots it all the way down and like knocks himself out out for like 14 seconds seconds. oh it was a 22 yeah yeah and she was concerned she's like oh my god she's on top of him like shaking him because he's dead he wakes up the cheekiest bastard he wakes up like tee i did it i killed myself for a little bit <laughs> I did but i'm still it. here and now you're closer to me because you were scared ha 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 yeah uh, he basically is like oh i'm gonna pretend he's like i'm gonna actually die in a way so that I pretend to be dead for real so that you just literally get physically closer to me so I can be like, hey, girl. Hey, girl. Hey. Hey, um, girl. Hey. And he's like, look, I'm super hot and special. I can read really, really fast. And I remember all of it. And she's like, really? Uh, let me just pull up a little page here. Uh, and it's... It's strange that he's reading in the first place. Kirk mentions it in the previous one, or he mentions it to Kirk. He says, you know, I'm stuck in this bed. I've started reading all the long-haired stuff that you like, like Spinoza, the philosophers of the 20th century, all this long-haired stuff. And and my partner, Forrest, was like, hippie shit? (laughs) Like, what is long-haired crap? I'm like, I'm pretty sure it's philosophers. I've I've read this fascinating book by Nietzsche. It has stuff about the ubermensch within it. Fascinating. (laughs) What's great is that Dr. Demmer, she picks a random page and she's like, what's on this page Um, or whatever. And he starts to and she picks a random poem and she's like, you know, what's what's the poem on this page? And he knows it. My love yeah. has wings, slender feathered things. Um, written by Tarbold on Canopus Planet in 1996. Yes, I love that. It is, fu- let, let me pick a poem for you to know. Oh, it's a future poem we just made up. In reality, this poem, My Love Has Wings, was written by Gene Roddenberry about his World War II airplane. Oh, oh okay. Yep. <laughs> Yep. 
Sounds right. Uh, <laughs> sounds about right. I love I love my airplane. It goes rat a tat tat. And he's all like, hmm. It's interesting that you picked that poem, Elizabeth, uh, because it's the most passionate love sonnet of the past couple <laughs> centuries. I knew when they said that, I knew I'm like, what writer wrote <laughs> that what I wrote is the best thing? Gene Roddenberry did. Yup. I always love that when they make up future stuff and then they have to cite that as like one of the best things. And we're like, we don't know that. I don't know that. Like, okay, sure, you're telling me, but I guess I'm just going to accept it as fact because it did nothing for me. Let me tell you, my lungs weren't like purloined by anything. Not at all uh, because he's being a fucking creep. He's just like, but how do you feel? Elizabeth, how do you feel? Tell me how you feel. And they're like really close. Um, mm-hmm. But then, thank goodness, Lee Kelso walks in. Um, yes. Another lieutenant. Uh, the name Kelso makes me think of that 70s show, but his face makes me think of Ryan Gosling. Oh, yes, that's true. Well, I, Kelso, I think of Scrubs, Dr. Kelso. Oh, but yes. But yes, face also, Ryan Gosling. I, I understand that. Um. So Lee comes in. He's like, oh, hey, G- hey, Gary. Uh, I just wanted to check in on you. You know, we're doing repairs. And Gary's mm-hmm. fucking pissed that he's been cock-blocked. Not oh, yeah. at all. He's so mad. Not at all happy that his friend is taking time to, like, see how he's doing. Uh, and he's like, mm, I just need to, I need to flex a little bit on my friend Kelso. Uh, this is the specific problem that's happening with the engines, and if you turn it on, everything's gonna explode. Go check on it! Go check on it! And when and, and, leaves, and Kelso's sort of like, are you sure, really? And he's like, I know! He's like, ah! When he, Kelso leaves and Gary's all like, he's a fool! He's a fool. I saw it in his mind. I saw the image of the engines from Kelso's mind and was able to diagnose the problem. So we got to go to a conference room. We got a good old conference room mm-hmm. scene. One of the staples of Star Trek into the the far-flung future of the series. Uh, a good old conference room. We got all our main players there to mm-hmm. give us information. Um, so Kelso confirms that Gary was correct. Spock is concerned about what Gary is mutating into. Mm-hmm. Dr. Dahmer is fucking pissed about that. She's all like, excuse me, that sounds like Nazi science stuff, and I have better Nazi science stuff. Um, <laughs> you have no feelings. You've worked with this guy for so many years, and now you're afraid of him. Uh, these powers could... Uh, an enhanced man could be wonderful for the species. Think of how good this could be. For the species. I'm like, girl, what? Hey, she's an eternal optimist. You can't blame her for trying to see the bright, shiny side of things. You know, even though, spoiler, she's going to find them firsthand. Everyone is fucking stunned at her Mm -hmm. outburst. They don't say jack shit. But we also hear that apparently all of the controls on the ship has been changing. And whenever yep. it happens, they see Gary smiling. Yeah, Gary's letting them know he can control. They ask Sulu, uh, because in this one, Sulu is there, he, but he is introduced as the ship's physicist. 
Yes. Which never comes up again. Nope. Uh, but Yes, the, you know, physicists who spend a lot of time in the botany bay. Yep, yep. Uh, they ask him, Kirk's just like, mathematically, what are we looking at, Sulu? And I'm like, what do you mean mathematically? You gave no <laughs> modifiers. You weren't like, mathematically, how are his powers changing? You were just like, mathematically. It's like he could have meant like, how far are we from the nearest star base? Mathematically, Sulu. Whatever. Uh, I, I don't Sulu have sense of She's a slide roll. Um, and, and Sulu does the, you know, if we double a penny every day in a month, you'd be a millionaire. Gary is getting even more powerful faster than that. Um, and what's wonderful about IMDb, IMDb facts is this pedantic fucks. To illustrate the growth of Gary Mitchell's power, Sulu states, double a penny every day in a month, you would be a millionaire. It would actually take less than a month. In 27 days, you would have 1.3 million. At the end of a 31-day month, you would have 21.5 million. Although that still makes you a millionaire. I was just about to say, (laughs) that makes you a millionaire. So they're basically saying his statement, like, actually... His statement is correct, but it could be more correct. See, this is like... <laughs> it this feels is like, like Gary Mitchell wrote this. I believe there was a poet, Char- or, uh, there was a, uh, I can't remember the poet, but there was a uh, computer, early computer scientist, Charles Babbage, like in the, in the 1800s, so like mm-hmm. real early computing, who <laughs> got mad at a poet because he said, every day a man is born and every day a man dies, something like that. He says, actually, if that were true, we would be at a standstill in population growth. And that is not the case. Ergo, I think it'd be more great if he said, 1.1 man is born every year and a man dies every year. Well, not not statistically speaking, this is the most correct. I think it is sufficient enough for poetry. And it's that kind. That's this kind of attitude right there, where it's like, yes. you know, we'll get this. Like, but you could have said twenty-seven days, and that's fine. But a month, I guess that's. Oh, I guess we'll give you the extra three I or guess. four days. One day, if you're saying it's February, you know. <laughs> My God, I love it. Yep. We need more media criticism of that type. In fact, that's the only type of media criticism <laughs> I will accept. They would have got, do you know what? Cinema Sins would have picked up on this. Oh! That would have been a count right for it. One yep. count at least. Yup. Um, so uh, Spock gives us our final like piece. He's just like, look, we're approaching a planet that has like a lithium mining system that's automatic. There's no other humans there. We can fix our engines and fucking leave Gary. Yep. We can fix our engines and leave Gary. Leave Gary. Kirk is like, what the fuck? Like, I'm not marooning my friend. Yeah, and that's where he points up like a 15-year friend. Like, we I have a relationship with this guy. This isn't just like some crew member. Like, I can't strand Gary. On a plane. I love his name's Gary. Gary's the name that I use for all my NPCs that are just the most generic people. So I love that I'm talking about a real Gary. Um, And so they're just like, we can't maroon Gary. But again, Gary is already showing them, like, he's going to fuck around and find out. Like, he's willing to push them on it. So Kirk's in a real dilemma. He really is. Uh, Spock's like, look, there are two choices. Maroon the fucker or kill him while you still can. Um, yeah. The Valiant had to do the same. This is Scott. What, what Spock posits that they waited too long and they mm-hmm. had to destroy the whole ship. 
yes. because of what was happening. So Kirk's like, look, let's go to Delta Vega. We'll do the marooning thing or yep. at least, you know, approach it and fix the ship. So we're on Delta Vega. Uh, and well, before we go to Delta Vega, we got to get Gary to Delta Vega. We oh, see yes. him in the room and he does a Matilda. He's he says out loud, I'm thirsty. Yep. And then we see a cup <laughs> take itself to the sink, fill itself up, and then just just, just right across the room, right to him. Kirk walks in right as he's like picking the cup up out of the air. So yes. they all see that he's now a telepath uh, or telekinetic. Well, and also a telepath. And also a telepath. He says, it's like a man who has been blind all his life is suddenly given sight. I yes. feel there is nothing I couldn't do. Does that oh, yeah. make me a monster? Um, he's he's beginning to lose it a bit. He's he's going on the Fargon era. And they're all in there. And they all mm-hmm. have their opinions. And Gary just calls out their shots. Like, calls yep. out in their brain. And Kirk's like, I know what you're thinking. You know, what you have to do. Because I can know what Spock's thinking. He's saying, kill yep. me. And if I was in his position, I would tell you to kill me too. I'm not going down to this planet. Because I don't know what kind of world I can use Yet. Yes. Yeah. Uh, he, I'm a god without do, a planet. The things I can do like maybe a god could do. In the last episode of Charlie X, we we learned that they wanted to call it uh, initially Charlie is a god or Charlie yes. becomes, you know. In this, you could just call it Gary Gary is a god. Like yes. it's, 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 that's what it's, it's funny that we're re- dealing with yep. kind of the same thing again. And yeah. I, I do wonder, I'm going to look up, I wonder when ESP became something that was like, studied it. it must have been around this time with the fact yeah. that it's entering the science fiction era and i just don't remember it being something you know psychics and stuff beforehand but specifically esp as like a science is is, is fascinating for them to be just like talking about oh yes it looks like it was in the 1930s were when the first esp uh sort of experiments were developed and so it does make sense that about 30 years mm-hmm. later, it became a widespread sort of part of pop culture. This yes. question of science, it was very Cold War. Uh, and I'm seeing in here, it was in the 60s, it got a resurgence with parapsychologists. And so that is why in the 60s, because they were yes. trying to like basically as basically with the doctor, said like with it, with psychology, they were trying to figure out, is there anything else that can go with it? And mostly mm-hmm. with things like dream therapy and other things like that, they're practicing with it. But yeah, it, it it's it, I always love reading sci-fi in the context of the time yes. because so much of, you know, Cold War and stuff had a big mm-hmm. influence on Twilight Zone and all those kinds of things. And I would say we're getting to the point now here where. I think Westerns had a huge influence on it because this Absolutely. last act could be the a, a story in a Western. And even the yeah. set, you know, on a desert planet with rocks and everything, it could be a Western. That's how it was sold, actually, to NBC. They sold it as a wagon train to the stars. Oh, boy. But there these it is. first couple episodes, these first couple scripts they put in, NBC was like, what's this all this speculative shit? Yeah. <laughs> like, this is it. Well, it's a spacey. Yeah. What's all this? What's all this ESP and discussion of what makes a god and compassion? But 
Delta Vega is a nice desert planet. So we do get to have and reuse some desert set. Yes. All put in there. So this set was the same. It was reused from the cage, the original pilot. Oh, from the cage. Okay. Okay. And from that, that beautiful matte painting, painting Mm -hmm. in the back, uh, which is just stunning. Uh, that was used in the cage as well as many of the sets, which you can kind of tell once you see yeah. it, which you will in the future. Um, yeah, I'm curious if this one was in the first episode we watched. Um, uh, the Probably the, the same was it the man trap? I always want to call yes. it the man eater, and I know <laughs> it's not the man trap. He's a man eater. Um, I am not sure, but perhaps. Um, so Kirk and Spock drug the fuck out of Don. D- Oh, um, yeah, they just uh, shoot him up. They shoot him up. Dr. Demers shoots him up. Uh, and they, like, frog march him to the teleportation room. He, like, mm-hmm. gains consciousness for a second. And he's like, I'll crush you like insects. Like the like, insects sh- you are. And they just, like. Another shot. Another shot. Then- he can still stand. They just kind of, like, stand him up in the spot. <laughs> Which is funny because I realize you can use the transporters while holding <laughs> someone up. Like, you can. They, you they didn't even hold him up. He just sort of balanced. Oh, they didn't? Oh, that's right. Yeah. And they go, voo, 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 voo. They just balance him there. Um, but we're on the planet. Yes. <laughs> it's a lovely planet. Great sets. Um, Kirk's like, hey, Kelso, could you put like a switch in that will destroy this fucking planet? Uh, <laughs> or like this whole valley? Just, yeah, you this know, whole facility. Yeah. Could you just like throw that in there? Um, we have Gary in this cell with a force field. But, you know, just in case. Just in case. Um, yeah, they put him in there, and he right away like succumbs to the force field. Like it's it's one of the things you think, oh, did they solve the problem that easily? Of course yeah. not. Yeah. So um, Gary is all like, my friend James Kirk, I took a poison arrow for you on blah 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 planet, and this is how you treat me. Now you're afraid of me. And Kirk's like, you said that we seem like insects, and that you want to crush us. Yeah, and you took over the controls of the ship, so you in kind of are endangering my entire crew, question mark. You said that you would kill someone if if they were in your situation? Yeah, and like, he's like, you the, told me you would do what Spock was thinking, which was kill. Uh, Gary, yeah, Gary tries to go through the force field, and it just drains the fuck out of him. His eyes turn back to normal. He looks yes. up at Kirk and goes, Jim? Yes, for a split second I thought, oh my gosh, did he get rid of the DSP? Nope. nope. Comes Only right back. temporarily. Mm-hmm. He has to put those fucking contacts back on. Poor Gary. Poor Gary. <laughs> Poor Gary. Poor Gary. Um, he warns. He's like, I'll just keep getting stronger. And they're all freaked out. They're like, Dr. Demmer, like, keep an eye on him. We're going to go to the kill switch. A really great comedy moment. Uh, Kirk is talking to Scotty on the bridge. And he's yeah. Scotty's like, thanks for the, all these items. They work. Uh, did you get that phaser rifle that we sent down? And Kirk's like, I didn't order a Spock walks around the corner with the most comically huge like yep. water gun. <laughs> yeah. Big old long barrel with like a little bit of a tin foil on the end as a little radar for a pointy part. It's so funny it's looking. It's so funny. It really looks like something that Nerf would make and that's the only time we're going to see it. It never Well, yeah, cuz I, I like that and I like that's not yeah, they have phasers, but this is the yeah. phaser rifle. Like this is the, yeah. like oh, you need something to stun. This will real really stun someone. Like okay. <laughs> Just like, oh no. Meanwhile, Mitchell, 
he keeps going, growing stronger. He's changing. Apparently, he's been standing still, just kind of like staring at the wall for hours. Dr. Demmer, very impressed. She has this half smile on her face. She is horny for eugenics. She she's had the turn. She's now like, oh my god, look at his powerful. Like maybe this this is my case study. This is going to be yeah. the person that I'm going to be able to like prove all these things about ESP that we don't know about. I'm going to improve the race. Uh, she says I'm staying behind with him. Yeah, Kirk's like, are you fucking crazy? No. Um. Meanwhile. A random pipe levitates itself and strangles the fuck out of Kelso. Totally, like, he telekinetically grots him and just, yeah. like, kills him. Kills and that's him. when they know, like, uh, uh-oh, maybe yeah. it's not going to be good. Maybe it's going to be really bad. We know it's Gary because we get a lovely, like, crossfade of mm-hmm. Gary's face on top of Kelso getting strangled. Yep. Which I love. And- he knocks out Kirk and Spock. Yes. Gary has a zapping power. He mm-hmm. he points at them and they go zap and they zip, fall. Zap, zop. Zip, zap, zop. That's when... Uh, Dr. Denner. Poor Dr. Dr. Denner. Or, well, rather, like, at first Kirk's like, Dr. Denner, why the fuck? You're not staying here. Uh, Gary zaps them and says, command with compassion is a fool's mixture. Mmm. Star Trek really likes its thesis statements. It is. Uh, yeah. I'm like, okay, so there's our our, oh, our, our antagonist argument that we'll be able to try and counter now. This is one of the reasons that I love Star Trek so much. It's very Twilight Zone of it. And mm-hmm. it's very much what puts it out of the space adventure and into speculative fiction for me. Yeah, and morality and... It's always trying like examining to, something. Yes, trying to examine yeah. human nature and or human psychology and how... It's, it's a lot about how people would react yeah. in these scenarios where either something culturally or physically or just you know, environmentally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's all yeah. indifferent and everything. Yeah, it, it it is interesting how grounded it is because it's not yeah. space fantasy. I mean, there's ESP, but the, even in this, they treat ESP as a science. They don't treat yeah. it as like, oh, it's magic and it's coming from something beyond. It's like, well, this is some sort of crazy science that we've not been able to pin down and discover yet. Yeah, and they take the time to be like, Okay, we're exploring this through the lens of power and compassion. Not just yeah. like, we got this crazy god guy and all this shit's mm-hmm. going on and we're going to have a bare knuckle fight. Fuck yeah! It's like, let's look at, like, uh, here's our thesis. Um, yeah. Uh, well, until it does become a bare knuckle fight. Until it does. Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, so Gary zaps Kirk and Spock, grabs Dr. Demmer, walks her into the room where she looks in the mirror and her eyes are tinfoil also. She got the foil. I knew it was going to happen. I'm like, Dr. Demmer, you are, I said Demmer, Dr. Denner, you are going to get converted and you are going to fall under this Gary's whim. And Gary's you whim. know what? It does. 
And you know what? I think that's what she wanted all along. Oh, I feel absolutely. like she got once she learned it was real. She, I think she spends a lot of time mad that she didn't get the powers right away. Yeah, she's like, I got zapped too, and yet yep. I'm not here getting these powers. I absolutely agree. Uh, but this is great. The doctor finds Kirk and Spock. Wakes up Kirk. Kirk's like, I need to go find them. Don't wake up Spock so that because he'll stop me from doing this stupid ass thing. Yeah. I'm going to go try and uh, and fix this. If I don't call in 12 hours, blow the fucking valley up. I'm going to try to reason with him. Demmer and Mitchell, uh, they're, they're walking through. They're taking a little stroll through a bunch of mm-hmm. big old fake rocks. And we see how much Dr. Demmer can definitely see where she's going. Oh, yeah. Is absolutely not holding on to the rocks for dear life as she walks and literally <laughs> checking the ground with her feet to make sure she's not going to trip over a fucking rock. This poor woman could not see anything. Anything. They are feet acting the hell out of this. Absolutely. Gary manifests a Garden of Eden. Yeah, exactly. I was going to say, it's a total Garden of Eden. Uh, yeah, she can totally see where she's going. Don't even worry about it. He's all like, you're going to enjoy being a god, Elizabeth. Look, I've made Kefarian apples. They're definitely not papaya with some green paint on them. <laughs> uh, yeah, and I love that even the fact that it was an apple. So we're, we're going to go into the Garden of oh, Eden, right? like, metaphor even harder. We're just going to mm-hmm. say, yeah, sure, an apple. Just like... And that feels so people's uh, stated, I'm not entirely sure what was changed, but Roddenberry rewrote this script a number of times. And people's was like, I liked my original version. I feel like this is a very Roddenberry thing. Like, it's the Garden of Eden. They're going to fuck. They're going to repopulate the planet. (laughs) They're going to, well, they're going to make an ESP uh, race of of humans now. Um. But in any case, Kirk's trying to sneak. Kirk's sneaking around with this stupid-ass giant rifle. And Gary is like, we got we got a visitor. And in fact, you, Elizabeth, should go talk to him so that you can see what a stupid fucking insect he is. Yeah. She's like, go talk to your little, your little Kirk over there with his little silly phaser rifle. With his little silly phaser rifle. You need to know what a useless ant he is compared to us. Uh, so Demmer appears in front of Kirk. She's all like, it just took longer to happen to me. I'm all, I'm all special. And he's trying to appeal to her humanity. Yeah. He's like, you are a human. You gotta help me. She's like, earth is unimportant. And Kirk's like, did you hear him joke about compassion? Did you hear that? Listen to his words. A God needs compassion. And he shouts that. And it's a really great moment. It's such a wonderful sci-fi Star Trek moment. Yeah. Just Kirk shouting philosophy to the sky. Um, A god needs compassion above anything else. Which is like, wow, what a thesis statement. I love it. I love it. And then that thesis statement leads to one of the first fist fights we have in Star Trek. Yes! So Gary appears. Kirk tries to super phase him. Gary force pushes the gun out of Kirk's hands. He's all, I've been contemplating the death of an old friend, Kirk. Cut to a 
giant fucking rock. And he goes, mm, he deserves a decent burial at least. Cut to a fucking grave with a yep. gravestone that says James R. Kirk. Which, which now is, this is the Western. This is all where I'm like, oh, a gravesite in the middle of a desert with your own headstone and some guy, some killer's there who's going to be like, I'm putting you in your own grave now. Yes. Like, hell yeah. So, uh, fun fact, that gravestone that says James R. Kirk his name is James T. Kirk. Later. Um, according to D.C. Fontana, when the mistake was discovered, Gene decided that if pressed for an answer about the discrepancy, his response would be, Gary Mitchell had godlike powers, but he was a human at the base, and he made a mistake. It was Gary's fault. Gary forgot his best friend of 15 years' middle name. Yep. He was busy thinking about being a god. But I love that. So, Dr. Demmer gets really freaked out by this. She's like, Gary, stop it. He's like, morals, morals are for men, not gods. And that's Ooh. when Denner, well, I know that, but then Denner uses her yes. power to weaken him and yes. tries to, like, get Gary to um, lose his uh, power. Lose power. And Mitchell attacks her. Yes, he says she's all, stop it. Kirk's like, this is a god, but driven by human frailty. Do you like what you see? Um, Gary forces Kirk to get on his knees. He's forcing him to put his hands together in Christian prayer. Oh my uh, god. Oh my god. Yeah, precisely. He's all, Kirk's all, there will only be one of you in the end. Like a jealous god, if all this makes a god, fuck you, Gary. That was a great mm -hmm. burn. Uh, look, absolute power, corrupting, absolutely. Another great burn. Um, but yeah, Elizabeth zaps Gary. Gary zaps back. She just kind of falls to the ground and stays there because oh. she can't see where the fuck she's going. <laughs> she's, she's just kind of looking around gun. like, fuck. Um... But he, she zaps him enough that his eyes turn back to normal. And she's like, Kirk, fucking get him. So he, Kirk just punches him in the fucking Leaps. Face. Just leaps. leaps. And it's like, da-da-da, my solution. <laughs> Try my hands to your face style. We got a total bare knuckle brawl. Uh, tell me, what did you think of this fucking brawl? I was, sh it was funny to me because I, I was like, okay, so he's weekend. You got to finish him. That Kirk's first response was just, I'm going to beat the ESP <laughs> out of him. I'm him just to going death. to beat him senseless. I'm going to elbow him. I'm going to arm him. And he's losing. Kirk yeah. like is getting his ass beat before the powers come back. His shirt is ripped. We see this is the only time we see his hairy fucking chest. He's got a hairy chest. So does Spock. Yeah. Spock doesn't engage with a with a with a. a he doesn't shave his chest. And he, it looked nice. It looked nice. It looked nice. But whatever, 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 Shatner, whatever. Um. So yeah, they're fucking brawling. I was shocked. I thought the yeah. first thing he would do was jump for the gun. Yeah, no, he doesn't. Not at all. Not at all. But finally he gains, like, the upper hand and he has a big rock. He's going to bash 
Gary's head in with a rock. And he stops for a moment. He's like, I'm sorry, Gary. And he should not have stopped. No, because Gary, then the tinfoil comes back. And Gary's like, aha, your compassion is your failure. Ha 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 gets away he finally gets the gun he shoots the mountain yep and the mountain falls down on top of gary and apparently that's enough to kill him well it was the perfect yes so when i saw the rock up there i was like okay here we go this is the great western ending is the gunslinger uses his rifle he shoots the rock the big precarious rock that was put up there the one that's shaped in size exactly like a grave, you know, yes. six by like six by plug. whatever foot. Yes, it it starts a rock slide. Gary falls in. The tombstone falls in. The rock falls and lands perfectly on top to where I don't know if it actually kills Gary, but it like stuck traps him and st- like I don't know. Like I I guess maybe it kills him because he doesn't have his ESP power to get out there, but. At at least it knocks him out enough long enough and he's in a graveyard but yeah just the hubris i'm like oh gary's going in his own grave gary's going in that grave like that's yep. what happens and yeah that's where a gary's perfect going. perfect western ending where it falls in and you get the hero in the end but unfortunately fatal injuries for dr denner yes uh he goes to her she's still on the ground because she can't see shit she says <laughs> i'm sorry you can't know what it's like to almost be a god. And then she dies. What a phrase. What a way to end that. Right? Right? So now we're back on the bridge. We're wrapping mm-hmm. up. Uh, Kirk has his hand wrapped up. He's talking to his captain log. And he wants it asserted that Gary and Dr. Demmer gave their lives in performance of their duties. Mm-hmm. Implying that He's saying they both died when we went through the the pink thing. Yeah. Um, well, and he, also he said he didn't ask what, yeah. for what happened to him about yeah. Gary. Yeah, Gary, they didn't ask for what happened to them. And Spock says, I felt for him too. Like sort of agreeing that... The emotions, yep. The emotions um, that like, he, he also wants Gary to be remembered as dying in the line mm-hmm. of duty. That he didn't ask for... To become, you yeah. know, almost a god. Um, and I do have to point out, he adds them to the casualty total because yes. they already killed people when they went through the purple earlier. Because yes. Kirk, all of this is because Kirk was like, I gotta go see why this ship blew itself up. Because apparently a warning from the ship about why it blew itself up is not enough. Yep. Yep. We're just checking shit out. Uh, and then Kirk says... You know, Mr. Spock, I believe there's some hope for you after all. And they continue to the stars. I really enjoyed this Wait. episode. Yes, tell me. So if we're going to be ranking these episodes, we're going to be making a Star Trek sandwich here from yes. uh, Charlie X and the Man Trap. This this goes right in between the slices. Right in the middle. This is the right meat. in the middle. Yeah, I like the man trap best, but this one, I, I think it's partly because we're going from one telepath story to another one. Yeah. I liked the philosophy. Mm-hmm. I liked the 
acting. I liked the angle between the doctor and Gary and the sort of like pseudo romance that goes between them and all of that. I just, I mean, I liked, I, I liked this one better, but I mean, you know, this is like splitting hairs at this point because they'd all be like, say, out of a 10, like an 8. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So it'd be like, oh, a 7.5 versus an 8 or whatever kind of thing. I, I've really enjoyed them and, uh, and look forward to doing more. I, I, I think I am looking forward now to more and more planets because we've had two kind of dry desert planets mm -hmm. and then one episode where we're all just on the ship. So mm -hmm. now I'm... I'm ramped up. I'm kind of getting into the the lives, the dailiness. I'm getting our cast of players. But well, and also because this one didn't have all of our cast of players because, you know, mm -hmm. Pilot 2.0. Um, but yeah, I'm really enjoying these stories a lot more than I thought. Not that I thought that I wouldn't like them. I just thought it'd be a bit more... I think I'd be just, like, leaning more into the camp. But I'm totally getting into the stories. And you're right, just like... I like when you say the thesis. Yes. I really love the thesis that are being put into yes. this so far. Because it is so it's, science fiction. It's and that's why NBC probing. didn't want this to be the first one. They were like, this is too heady. This is too thinky. Uh, yeah. You got to do something more wild for the first one. You know, and I'm glad that they, they put it in early enough because the fact that it has an inconsistency with the crew is you can just kind of get over it real fast because yeah. next week your main cast is going to be in there and stuff. But it is, but knowing that fact, yeah, it really was interesting watching this as a second pilot, especially the people who were still cast. Like Chekhov and Sulu were still there, but we don't have a, you know, a Bones. We don't have mm -hmm. Uhura, you know. So it's, it is interesting how knowing a little bit more, oh, and Scotty was also there, um, but knowing mm -hmm. now how, how they built the the set it's so yeah. interesting um so missy i have a little game i have a little game for oh, us yes, a please. chance I'm for you for a game. to win uh command bars i'm not sure what what should be the thing oh, what should be the yeah. star trek thing that you win because they they have credits but there yeah. there's no money in I like the commander Federation. bar. I like this. I like earning Command a little bars. bit of a rank. I'm a private right now so yes. I'm going to I'm going to earn my rank in Star Trek. Yes. Missy one of these things is not like the others and or what is the difference between these two pictures? Can oh, you identify okay. all of the things from this episode that are different from all of the other episodes? Oh boy. Okay. 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 And okay. you'll get yeah. a point for everything that you identify because there okay. are endless numbers of things. So there's no way that I can go back and like list them all, but yeah, yeah, let's yeah. see what you caught. Okay. So... I mentioned it, but costuming. Yes. Um, there's costumes in here that we don't see, I don't think, again. Everyone's um, in yellow sweaters or in yep. different colors than they usually have. The sweaters have, like, this, tur like, a gooseneck mm -hmm. to them uh, is what they call it. It looks wildly uncomfortable. Uh, they... Well, we mentioned they don't have, I, I did just mention it, but they don't have some of the main principal actors in it and characters yes. that we see that either not referenced or are taken the place by a different, like Dr. Piper essentially mm -hmm. is uh, in the place of uh, DeForest Kelly as um, uh, Bones uh, mm -hmm. in there and stuff. Uhura's um, not there. Uh, they have another person on the bridge, a black mm -hmm. man on the bridge who... Yeah. 
who they really the... like they relieve a duty when when um mm -hmm. i think it's uh kelso gets up there or no no i think it's gary takes over that position one of them but mm -hmm. it does but yeah um oh gosh oh gosh i got i know there's more mm. um <laughs> kirk's chest hair no um, yes that is one kirk's that is chest one. hair um is it are they well, Sulu's a different position. That's why. Yes, he is are there a physicist. Are there different... There's, I feel like there's just different positions that everyone holds in general. Like, we don't have the same, like, uh, deck team, like, just in terms mm -hmm. of even what they call each other. But that, that might just be, be mismemoring. Nope, you are well, correct. There is a bit of a mix-up. It's, it's mm -hmm. just, like, weird. Like, Sulu is typically at the helm. Yeah. Uh, Scotty remains engineering. Uh, we don't have like a communications officer. I I feel terrible. I I don't want to. I want to think a little bit more, but I also don't want to keep the listeners just on on a, on a string here. I'm not sure. Well, the phaser rifle. They don't ever have because yes. it's just a small phaser. We talked about that too. But the phaser rifle is one thing. Mm -hmm. um, it is weird. This is not a not like the other, but yeah. it is interesting that in this episode they are dealing with ESP like it's something new and didn't mm -hmm. just deal with in the episode before. So that's yes. not a one of the things is not like another, but it's a con that's just a continuity error. Um, is there something different about like a, a narrative thing that's different or so? I don't know. I guess I, here's, I, I'm going to tap out. Mm -hmm. I'm going to okay. tap out and say, okay. that's what I can think of so far because the stuff that we've discussed. But I'm going to be honest, I don't know if I visually noticed all that much things that were different. That is super fair. Um, you got five things. Some of the things that I noticed uh, throughout is how they style Mr. Spock. His eyebrows are way more pointed. Okay. I was, I, so I saw that and I said, it's like he perfected the drag eyebrows. Yes. Like they're so drawn. I, I noticed it, but I didn't think I clocked it as different right? from before. I just, I, but now I realize why I noticed his eyebrows mm -hmm. and was like, oh, his eyebrows are super pointy. Yep. Um, they're like okay. micro bladed as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, he has perp, and, he, and I could see the makeup where he had his actual eyebrows covered over and stuff mm -hmm. on there. Interesting. Okay. So the yes. eyebrows are different. The eyebrows are different. He also has um, shorter ears, and his skin oh. is a little bit yellow. They originally wanted him red. They originally wanted him to be red, but it looked really and? weird on black and yeah. white TVs. Yeah, so, it, I'm guessing it would probably would look too like f like washed it would look out, like washed out or like blackface, one of the two, you know. Uh, and thank God we didn't get. Thank that. God, yeah, thank God we don't have to deal with that. Thank non Gary Mitchell God. <laughs> um, and also his hairstyle it well it's different from in the cage it's now the hairstyle he will maintain um okay. kirk also doesn't have his pointed sideburns oh his sideburns yes are like normal um yeah spocks are pointed and in the yes. future they just point everyone's sideburns because yeah future. there's just a great shot where kirk is like really just given some real good philosophy, some good burns. 
And the only thing in focus in this close-up shot of his face is the collar of his gooseneck sweater. (laughs) So that just gave me big, like, college film club vibes. Where I'm just like, fuck! (laughs) This is the only shot we have! Uh, I guess we're going to use it. Fuck! (laughs) Um, The other differences are we see women in pants. Oh, uh, yes, you did. Yeah, you mentioned that. Women in pants. Yeah. Yeoman Smith, of course, uh, leaves because she didn't want to fuck Gene Ronberry, which is repulsive. Um, yeah, how dare she not want to fuck Jim Rod- Gene Ronberry? So right? She should have done it on the spot. <laughs> repulsive Fucking of her. <laughs> right? <laughs> um, and there are some differences just in the set. They end up. Uh, making the view screen to the outside. There's a lot more side details. I, okay, this is that's a very plain sort of TV rounded square. Yeah, I, I noticed that it was very stark, and I liked it. I wasn't yeah. sure if there was something different, but that makes sense. Yeah. So those are the things that I noticed or that stuck out to me. There are other differences, uh, but on the whole, Missy. I have one more question for you, and I should have asked this in the middle of the episode. Oh, okay. But let's put ourselves back in that conference room. Okay. I'm in there. Captain Missy. Yes. Your dear friend of 15 years is becoming some kind of mutant (laughs) esper. He's fucking with the ship. You just learned that he like manipulated an entire relationship that you had in college captain missy what do you do boy howdy um well in the moment i would i would maroon myself on the planet with my friend okay Okay. I would, I'd be the one that would go to, I would be the one that would want to stay behind and make sure that they're okay and would risk getting turned into a god partner by it. So I would be the one that would have, so I would end up dead, you know, mm-hmm. after seeing, you know, someone else take a fist fight for me and everything like that. Uh, mm. But yeah, I think I would probably, I would lean toward wanting to try and save Gary. I know that about myself, that I would, it would be really hard for me to pull the trigger, as it were, uh, on my phaser rifle um, set to kill. But at the same point, I also know, <laughs> I'm also like, well, I would never get in a situation where I'm a captain to begin with. But yeah, that's hard. I mean, it is like the, you know, it's the trolley problem if you really yeah. want to get down to it. It is, do you kill one for the sake of many others, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's hard at a point when he hasn't actually killed anyone yet. That's yep. the thing. Like, that's the hard part, is that if it was something where it's like, we got to the point where he kills Kelso, and it's like, well, now, like, you've or okay, I can't, I don't have any other option now, I gotta put you down, because clearly he's going for it. But yeah, at that specific point in time, that's hard. But I would lean for, let's see Hope and get us to the planet. If I need to be marooned with them, then I'm gonna go down with them, and we'll we'll figure this out. One more question. It's scary. It's scary. It's scary. Missy, do you think that by the end, Captain Kirk was able to figuratively save Gary's soul? Oh, boy. Did he? By staying behind, by by doing all of those things. That's something that has been posited about this episode. Kirk stays behind and has to kill Gary, but he saves his soul. That is interesting. Is it better to die a human 
or to die as yourself when you become something so detached from what you are. Mm-hmm. And and this I didn't this line didn't hit me, but when you were talking about it, it did the the bouncing around about how like. He's a god with a human flaw, and it is interesting mm-hmm. concept human of frailty. of yeah, human frailty, like uh, like uh, uh, getting godlike powers, but having all of the hangups that going through humanity has, and how would that flavor it? Because it's like my instinct is that I would try and become like a helpful god. I would become a compassionate god, and I would be the one trying to help fix stuff. Mm-hmm. But like a lot of sci-fi is about like the worst impulses because it's more like it's obviously more like dramatically interesting it's not it's not that dramatically interesting to be like oh no someone's helping everyone what do what do we do let them continue it's being executed perfectly Um, and just works (laughs) Uh, they have they've prevented starvation with their mind oh no but yeah so it is that's always the the interesting part uh about it um is is what you would what what would you what would you do yeah it's it's, it's hard but that's what my instinct would be Yeah, I think that, like, Captain Emily, what would I do? I would keep him on the ship. Mm -hmm. And that see, that's the question is I'm just kind of I feel like I'm waiting in a zombie movie for the person to turn before I shoot. Yeah, that's the hard. Yeah, it's it's we're stuck in the moment where Spock is like of the, you know, before it's too late and and how long is too late and how long do you hold out? Yeah. Um, Risk management, baby. Risk management. (laughs) Risk management. I know that Captain Emily would have said that they died in the line of duty, but would have included that First, they went fucking crazy because something <laughs> about this pink shit fucks them up. In they a died way- in the line of duty. For the love of God, avoid the purple. <laughs> like, just stay away from this fucking purple shit. This is what's going to happen. Don't fucking do it. Um, yeah, I'm just, I'm honestly more surprised we don't deal with the ramifications of the decision to go there in the first place. Yeah. But I guess it's because... You are on a mission, and yes. so like your goal is to explore. So he is yeah. doing what they're supposed to do. It is. It just would be. I want to know what the Star Trek military propaganda is to make mm. people feel like your life is worth it to risk going into the purple. Like the fact that we need to answer these questions. Like that's what your life is on the line. That's what, as a red shirt, you know, as we later come to call it, that's what you're doing. And like. How do you pitch that? How do you, how do you mm-hmm. get them in there? Is it the kind of you could travel and see a lot of different worlds, go off and seek new civilizations? That's the aspect, and it is like, oh, you get shore leave when you're in the navy. Like it's just that sort of. I, yeah, I'll be fascinated if that comes. I'm sure it doesn't, but I'd be fascinated if that comes more into it. It's just the recruiting process of how you get right? on board. It to feels, be fair, yeah. But also in the future, I guess maybe that's the thing. It's the most exciting thing you could do, exploring. Mm-hmm. Like, there's nowhere else to explore on Earth. Like, I guess that makes sense, though. Is It truly is, like, an experience you're not going to be able to get anywhere else. Yeah. It's very um, within the Western, this sort of colonial uh, yeah. aspiration. The, the the mythology of colonialism. The, Being able we're to exploring, t- yeah. we're finding, we're learning to tame the untamed, to learn, interact from the natives, and probably exploit them, uh, you know. Uh, Which they yeah, really all don't of the, 
they really don't go into that until later uh later seasons like later shows like mm-hmm. the next generation and yeah. deep space nine and they sort of examine like what the fuck is this thing that the federation is doing now but that we've got the point, exploring part yeah we're still exploring and meeting everyone and once we've met everyone how do we how does that those relationships maintain and how do they look like yeah mm-hmm. yeah i'd be in, i'll be interested to get to that if if slash when we make it to the next generation <laughs> we still have we still have more episodes to yes. go in this we are three Two down seasons. emily but there are 29 in this first one 26 to go i'm so so excited um next week what is our episode Next week, oh boy, we're having a hot time because it's the naked time. Oh, the naked time. So Was that title written by Gene Roddenberry? Who knows? Who knows? Um, Oh, I'm so fucking excited. Oh. Okay, I remember this one. I'm really, really, really excited. Oh, good. And, okay, I'm uh, hyped now. And we're gonna we're gonna watch a really good episode because we're gonna see some great shit. Let me give you a little bit of a, a preview. Ooh, Sulu. Mm-hmm. Fencing. <gasps> Shirtless. I might have seen this clip before, and I'm excited to see this again. Yes, please. The Naked Time! It just makes me think of that, like, the Neil Cicinera, uh, the, the Potter Puppet Pals guy. Yes, oh, yes, yes, get him, yes. And now he characterizes Dumbledore as Naked Time, always wanting to get naked, as if he could see the rot at the center of the <laughs> franchise that we had not yet foreseen. Well, thankfully, we know the rot of this franchise yes. and can look around <laughs> at the glorious, colorful, non-spoiled edges as we go on to the next episode next week. But that's going to be all for now. I got to teleport out of here. Beam us up. Beam us up, Scotty. Do it, please. Seriously, we're waiting. Come on. Scotty, what the fuck, dude? Are we marooned? Are we being marooned for our extra-century powers? (sighs) I knew I shouldn't have had that ginger ale fly across the room. Missy, I swear to God. Well, to me, because I'm a god now. So I swear to me. Next episode title, Emily is God.